Hi, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. Up on our site, The Ringer has just published their first ever fantasy football rankings. Our NFL experts, Danny Kelly, Robert Mays, Danny Heifetz, and more, rank and analyze the top 150 players in 2019 with printable and mobile cheat sheets to take with you wherever you're drafting. To check out our rankings and for more preseason coverage, listen to the Fantasy Football Podcast or head over to theringer.com. David, during this week's New York Times headline controversy, the conservative website The Blaze semi-defended the Times. Prominent liberals lost it over NYT headline that accurately characterized Trump's remarks about El Paso. What I want to know is what other strange bedfellow could you imagine The Blaze defending? I mean, I don't know, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say there was probably a the Blaze headline four years ago that was like, Bernie Sanders correctly calls DNC corrupt. Mm, yeah. Uh, do you think the Blaze went, like, like dipped their toes into, like, the, like John Delaney pulling ahead of the Democrat pack, sort of? <laughs> John Delaney making a lot of sense territory. You think they were in there? You think they were in on yeah, that? Yeah, truth teller. Do uh, we think there was a whole, like, Donna Brazile vertical at one point when she was going in on the Democrats? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, Donna, Donna, Donna Brazil cracks the code to the DNC. Um, I'm sure they have a lot of thoughtful ideas on how like Che Guevara T-shirts really prove the point of capitalism. But, we, you know, it's, that, that, that might be a whole separate <laughs> section of the website. We are the Blaze Pizza of Media Podcast. This is the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. Tons to get to this week. We'll talk about how to hijack a football press conference. We'll reveal the anonymous sources of the week. We're also going to talk about how newsletters became the new podcasts and about our encounter with gin blossoms. Yes, gin blossoms. But David, why don't we start with the great New York Times headline caper of 2019. On August 5th, yeah, oh no, on August 5th, Donald Trump finally got around to saying presidential things about the mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton, and during this brief moment of presidentialness, the New York Times put out an A1 headline in the paper's first edition that read, Trump urges unity versus racism. And given Trump's (laughs) vast oeuvre of racist speech, that headline uh, sucked. And it was immediately tweaked by Nate Silver by Beto O'Rourke. We had a rash of people say they were canceling their New York Times subscriptions, hashtag cancel NYT, including GOP strategist and never Trumper John Weaver and the nation's Joan Walsh. Here's the first thing I want to say about this. I don't believe the people who say they're canceling their New York Times subscription. (laughs) A, A marginal Times reader, you know, who gave the digital sub a little whirl there for a few months. Sure. I'm glad that that's the first the first note we're hitting on, by the way, oh, well, but, because, this whole, in this whole controversy. I kind of think we have to. But do you do you think people who like Dwight Garner's book reviews and Amanda Hess's column no. and Mike Isaac's tech coverage, that they read this headline and they said, that's it. I'm out. No, Bullshit. but there have been things there. I mean, I, I can just speak from personal experience that there have been, you know, with in, in various media, both print, but also podcasts and, and television and stuff. There have been. There have been moments where I was just sort of exasperated or disappointed with the point of view to the point where I found myself not paying attention to that outlet much anymore, or at least for for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know that any of this any of this reaction to the headline is going to affect the New York Times bottom line significantly. My guess would be not at all. But 
if it affects their reach, uh, especially to the you know people who the kind of blue checkmark people who are who are you know who have some who have reach of their own. Um, then that that's a that's a substantive loss, but we'll you know we'll see if any of that really matters at all. I think that this is more an excuse to kind of express outrage, um, and I don't mean to to belittle the situation. It was a sh- just garbage headline, but that's obviously not what people are most mad about here. It reminded me of when I take a flight on American Airlines and my bag comes out in the bag carousel soaking wet. And I go over to, you know, AmericanAirlines.com <laughs> and get on the customer thing. And whenever I do this, like the second or third sentence after I've explained what happens is, I will never fly your airline again. Yeah. I I don't mean that at all. No. I'm hoping to get like a $75 credit by being as nutty as humanly possible and aggrieved. But that's exactly what remind me, like threats are a part of customer <laughs> service. So if we can do it for the airline. Why can't we do it for the, I will never subscribe to the New York times again. I just, right. I just, but I just love, I just love it. I will, we'll, we'll get to the headline in a second, but I just love John Weaver, GOP strategist. Is he agreeing that he will never be quoted by the New York times again? I'm can sure we get in the ethics of this? If they call up and say, we want a quote about how terrible Donald Trump is, you're going to just, just hang up the phone because you're so, so angry about that headline. Come on, come on. Anyway. None of this forecloses criticism of the headline, which was not good and was quickly changed to assailing hate, but not guns. And yeah, I thought about you, David, because you mentioned on the pod the other day that a mistake that reinforces what your critics already think about you (laughs) is the worst kind of mistake. And this was the times making that mistake. It was being backbreakingly newspapery in the face of political racial calamity the fir- you're talking about the original one that everyone was every the one that everyone was mad about i was just going to say that the 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 revised headline was like the ultimate like retreating into like you know crouch position the 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 the, the revised headline is so newspapery it's illegible like i don't i have no idea what's going on there <laughs> um there's like the voice is so passive it's like whispering but they but uh but yeah i mean i think that that's right i think that that the Initial headline, I mean, I think the most generous reading you could give it is that it was kind of supposed to be read with a with a a wink is not quite right. That it was supposed to come across with a little bit of uh, irony um, mm-hmm. or a little bit of sarcasm. Uh, but and and and, the, and part of the reason why I think that is because of the reaction from The New York Times that like acknowledging that it was a failure because it wasn't a failure as a statement of, I mean, I guess it was a failure as a statement of fact, but it, but it, but it seemed like it was, they were acknowledging that it didn't go over the way they intended it to sort of, is that, is that anyway, I think that's right. I, I, I just think that it's, um, yeah, I mean, to, to we, we are, we are all, we are, all of us who work in the media are rightly very reluctant to join these sorts of, um, mobs because, it's hard work and and almost all the time the people being targeted uh for bad headlines are not the people that have anything to do with headlines and um and the, and the people that did create the headlines you know are uh, doing the best they can <laughs> most of the time um but this is just a, just an it's just such a wild wild misfire um that it that one wonders just what the system of checks and balances even is 
Well, that's a really interesting point. And Dean Bacay, who is the executive editor of the Times, told the uh, Columbia Journalism Review's Gabe Snyder, the print hub is not right in the middle of the news desk anymore. I don't lay out the page. I don't pick the front page stories. I don't think that's the role of the executive editor anymore. And what he's saying is newspapers have now advanced, or at least the Times, so far into the future that him giving the initial once-over to the front page, to the physical print front page, isn't really his job anymore. Like the Times has moved beyond that, saying everybody who's consuming this or just about everybody is consuming this online. And that's for this, you know, select and shrinking number of people in the world who are actually reading a print newspaper. The yeah. funny part about that is, is that Tom Jolly, who is the Times' print editor, tweeted out the front page, which then I think eight minutes later, according to Snyder, is what led to Nate Silver dogpiling and then Beto O'Rourke gets in it and then we've got a movement. But the Times front page is this symbolic thing on the Internet rather than something that, you know, lots of people are looking at the next morning. And, and it's just so, but it was just, it was just so striking to me that all of this is about stuff that isn't really, you know, isn't really setting the news agenda so much as a thing that happens online. And then people are like, aha, look at that. That's, that's, you know, that's a bad headline. You're, yeah. you're canceled. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it's it is a symbolic thing. We've talked about people. We've talked about the sort of art of tweeting covers before, uh, especially when it comes to like sports. You know, instant reaction to sports victories and stuff like that. Um, this is this is a different category, obviously. But but um, you know, it's symbolic, but it's also a traffic grab. You know, to be like here's a here's and here is a JPEG Absolutely. that you will all that you will all uh, react to better, you know, more more urgently than you'll react to text in a tweet. Um but yeah, I mean I I I take what Dean McKay says uh, at face value. Um it's I mean the, the mechanics as you described them seem a little bit wonky, but that's fine. And he did say that a Times editor spotted the headline and raised a red flag pretty immediately and said, eh, this is not right. You know, let's change well, and, this before we do another edition of the paper. And it, and it should be said, if it needs to be said, that the piece beneath it was wonderful. I mean, was, you know, very well put together and actually had a really smart point of view. And there was a lot of really thoughtful commentary on on Trump's speech in the Times that day. Um, but, you know, the headline carries a lot of weight. I mean, that's literally, literally, I guess. I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, it, it's a big deal. Um, and, you know, as I was I was getting at this before, but I think that the I, th I mean, I think it's pretty clear that the tragedies, uh, especially the one in El Paso, um, have served as uh, a sort of inciting incident for um, what you see in the in the in the Democratic candidates. Uh, it's it's it definitely served as an as an inciting incident for them to be op to openly discuss Trump as a racist. Right. Mm -hmm. Um yep. It, it, I mean, because you could, they could have all said this man was clearly influenced by Donald Trump without saying he's a racist, without you know, without going the full, you know, without going. They were. It seemed that they were inspired by that moment or waiting for such a moment to break out the racism charge. And I think that this is that the incident did. I mean, was was signaled the explosion of a lot of emotions in a lot of people, a lot of a lot of voters who were against Trump, um, and and obviously what they're upset about. I mean, part of what they're upset about with the New York Times is. We're seeing all 
of our kind of like-minded outlets, our, our candidates, our friends, or whatever else, have uh, have reacted kind of defiantly to this moment, this tragedy that, that our country went through. And the New York Times is just sort of de- defiantly not doing that. They're like we said before, they're sort of cowering into newspaper ease. That's exactly right. And I think that is I think that's the source of 95 percent of Times angst. There's a lot of and and, and I don't want to I don't want to say that there's not legit criticism, including of this headline in particular, because it does. And the Times needs criticism and all media needs. We need criticism. But Snyder pointed this out and a couple of other people have pointed this out that when Trump became president, it became a resistance thing to do to subscribe to The New York Times. That was sure. like how part of how you took a stand and said, you know, we are I am I am digging in. Trump hates the Times or Trump has this bizarre relationship with the Times. These are the people that are investigating him. I'm standing on. And then you read the actual New York Times or maybe more to the point you read the Twitter accounts of New York Times reporters and you're like, oh, wait, these aren't resistance fighters. These are newspaper reporters. Mm -hmm. And there's just this huge disconnect between those two beings (laughs) in life. They really are. Yeah. And I think that's right. And I think you're right. Like they, they see Beto cussing at the press mm-hmm. and they're like, why aren't, why aren't you as mad as Beto is? Yeah. What's wrong with you? Uh, and the times wanna... is just saying, look, this is, you know, we can be mad on the editorial page and we could be mad here, but we see our job rightly or wrongly. We see our job as not doing that on the front page. Yeah. Speaking to what, you said, I mean, Dean Baquet gave a number of quotes. Chris just sent them over to me. This is yeah from CJR where he says, I don't believe our role is to be the leaders of the opposition party. There's another one in the Atlantic where he kind of goes into more depth. But I, and I think that this, it bears mention, take this as a defense of the times if you want or not. I don't think Baquet ever really went there in any of his quotes, but it's, we've talked a million times about how difficult the mainstream media has had in just covering Trump in the way that they've covered previous presidents because he defies expectations. He defies conventions. No one knows what a tweet means, you know, one way or the other. And I think that this is, you know, it's it's really hard to convey in print, let alone in a headline, um, that a speech which is, you know, nominally filled with, uh, you know, calls for unity and calls against race, racism and, and everything else, that it's being read by someone who looks like they're reading it against their will and for the first time. You know, I mean, there's there's no way to, there's no... There's no way to convey the experience of watching Trump, or it's difficult to convey the experience of watching Donald Trump read that speech. Uh, I mean, it, it's like it, it's like watching, you know, a drunk coworker do karaoke when they should really be going home. I mean, there's just some like there's such an inherent awkwardness and <laughs> and bizarreness to the whole thing um, that you know. You kind of left with the with the, with the decision as to whether or not to like cover it at you know, take it at face value, take the transcript that the White House has sent out, um, or to go into more depth. But but either way, I don't know. I mean, you, you get quickly into like the territory of like the onions are dumb century or something, where like the headline would have to be like, "What the fuck was that?" You know. But to but, I mean, that would almost be as the closer than what they ended up with, I guess. But. Or um, or Trump denounces it, racism through gritted teeth, something like that. Yeah, 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 and that's and that's and that's and and even though we all believe that to be true, 
you can see why, you know, Dean Bacay or whoever else would think that's a judgment call that doesn't belong on the on the front page. Yeah. And and look, there are lots of ways to there are lots of ways to spin that. And I think the you know, the times that they had a do over probably think it, you know, what Donald Trump said somewhat belatedly about this before he then commenced to attacking, uh, you know, Beto on Twitter again and Sherrod Brown on Twitter again may not have been that important. The Times doesn't have to write a lead story about what Trump said yesterday. His remarks could be further down in a piece. And I'm not even sure. Did you did you even note what Trump said other than through the Times headline controversy? I mean, I, I watched it. I, I, I watched the speech because I thought it might be significant. And so I guess, you know, put me in that camp. I get I can understand the argument that it is newsworthy that Donald Trump denounced white supremacy and racism. But and 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 I but I'm not sure if you've decided <laughs> that's you, where we are. Yeah, yeah, but if you've decided, I mean, so I, I understand how they got into this mess. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I, and if you've decided that that's the story, but you're still reluctant to call him a racist, then what? How do you put that into? How do you frame that? You know, I mean, it's the whole. It's it's a, it's a whole lot of problems kind of stacked on stacked on each other. One point I'd like to make is the media world has changed so much, and I think the age of people who are reading newspapers online now has changed that they may forget unlike people like us who grew up in the age of newspapers that a lot of stuff in every newspaper sucks (laughs) it's just or it's just boring or it's it's just or it's just not good that's what a newspaper is it's put together by hundreds of people it's not going to be a perfectly edited issue of the new yorker i like reading the la times every day then i open the uh opinion page and i see a column by jonah goldberg and i'm like "Eh, i don't want this this is not this is not good but I don't throw away the whole thing. And that's just, again, newspapers are just big and unruly like that. And I think, I think that gets lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, David, time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Please send your submissions to at the press box pod where they will be gratefully received. Um, David, we've got to handle the feral hogs deal which was pretty much all of Twitter (laughs) for the last 48 hours. Uh, A couple nominees, one tied uh, the feral hogs together with the Neil deGrasse Tyson controversy. And it read far more people die from the flu than 30 to 50 feral hogs. Often our emotions respond (laughs) more to spectacle than to data. Thanks to Ken Barrett for that one. Also uh, Twitter tied the hogs to the now notorious tweet from the man whose subs a.k.a. people in a subdom relationship had unionized. My 30 to 50 feral hogs have been unionized. Thanks to Dr. <laughs> Blumen for that one. Good stuff. Uh, there was also a headline in the New York Daily News. Senator Mitch McConnell breaks shoulder in fall at his Kentucky home. Sorry to hear that, that uh, Senator McConnell has broken his shoulder. It was an overworked Twitter joke to respond, thoughts and prayers. Thanks to Eric Cannon for that. The thoughts and prayers response will never, never fully get old. All right, David, time for the notebook dump. And our first item I would like to call the art of hijacking a press conference. This comes from the Dallas-Fort Worth area radio host, Jake Kemp, who uh, told me this about this at Cowboys camp this week. It's from the press scrum held Monday by Art Bryles, the disgraced former Baylor football coach. Uh, I know. Bryles is now head coach of 
the Mount Vernon High School Tigers in Texas. The hiring has been controversial because Bryles, of course, presided over the massive sexual assault scandal at Baylor. Uh, He did a press availability this week, and reporters got explicit instructions that they were only to ask about the high school team, the Tigers, and not Baylor. You can ask about this very interesting high school football team. You may not ask about the other stuff. Listen to the final question from Rissa Shaw, a TV reporter in Waco. We got a, we got a scrimmage in eleven days, and I got to get ready to do that because we ain't we're not near ready. Speaking of support, y'all are the Tigers. Any any talk about changing it to the scapegoats? Oh, not 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 none whatsoever. We're Tigers. We're Mount Vernon Tigers. Thank you. Now, your first question may be, what? <laughs> what? Whoa. What? What was the point of that? Oh um, Rissa Shaw explains on Twitter. Many in Waco feel Bryles was a scapegoat. Media were told not to ask questions about BU sex scandal, only Mount Vernon football-related questions. So using the mascot was simply a, quote, sporty way of opening the door for Bryles to respond to the theory of being a scapegoat. So speaking of sinking into old media nonpartisanship, she's saying that there are people who feel Browse was a scapegoat. I wanted him to respond to that. I didn't think I was allowed to exactly ask that question outright. So I said, are you thinking about changing the high school team's mascot to the scapegoats? Yeah. Is that it? Did I get it? Yes, you you nailed it. You nailed it. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that it, you know, <laughs> that how, that really changes things that much. When I heard about this, I thought she was trolling Art Bryles, but I don't think that's what she was doing at all. Yeah, I thought that my 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 first reaction was that she was trolling him and missed the joke, sort of. Um, yeah, just didn't but, nail the landing. But yeah, it, no, it was. Um, that's that's very weird. It's very weird. It does not surprise me, particularly as a proud Baylor grad, that that the prevailing sentiment in Waco is that he was scapegoated. David, it's time for the anonymous source of the week, one of our favorite yeah. departments. We've actually got two this week, and I've asked our producer Jim Cunningham to lower my voice so that I sound like one of those corporate whistleblowers they used to put on Dateline NBC, because this material is explosive. This is this is mm-hmm. this is not something this is not something you'd want to be identified as saying. This is anonymous. The mm-hmm. first anonymous source of the week crawled out of the woodwork when Miami Dolphins wide receiver Kenny Stills pointed out something on Twitter, which is that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross has a nonprofit devoted to improving race relations, and Stephen Ross is throwing a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar a plate fundraiser for Donald Trump. So <laughs> As Bamani Jones and then the Washington Post, Dan Steinberg pointed out, Ross needed someone to explain this contradiction, so he dispatched an anonymous source whose verbatim quote appeared in at least four outlets. I am quoting the anonymous source. Jim, get the effects ready. With regards to race, Stephen's record on fighting racism speaks for itself. It is possible to support someone on the basis of some things and not agree with everything about them. Now, does that sound more like Deep Throat or the guy who runs the Dolphins PR department? <laughs> Anytime you have to say somebody's record speaks for itself, you're clearly not. It's clearly not true. What was amazing is by Wednesday night, the publication had 
publications had subbed in an actual quote from Stephen Ross instead of the anonymous stuff. So <laughs> really, <laughs> yeah. Now there's like an on the record thing. So now it's sort of like, was it the Dolphins PR guy was just like, I don't want my name on this. I just, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to be associated with this at all. Why did we do like a 24 hour charade where we said that off the record? Or maybe it was Ross himself. Maybe it was just Ross called up and he's like, "You can't use my name until we see how this plays, and then once we've once we've established that the quote's going to go over well, we can put my name on it." And then uh, it did not go over so well. The second <laughs> no. anonymous source of the week, David, is from People, People Magazine. This arrived in my inbox yesterday. I get People press releases and I cannot turn them off. I have tried, but I cannot <laughs> not manage to. Uh, it's four paragraphs, so I'm going to read the entire piece, and Jim can kick in the audio when we uh, get to the anonymous part. Quoting people, Brad Pitt is still one of Hollywood's biggest stars. He earned rave reviews for his role as a tough, loyal stuntman in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his first film in two years. Since his 2016 split from Angelina Jolie, the actor, 55, has worked very hard on himself to be a better, healthier person. <laughs> And to be the best dad possible. A source tells people in this week's issue. (laughs) These were always his priorities. That his career is going well is a happy bonus that he is thrilled about. So we went on background (laughs) to reveal that while Brad Pitt wants to make great movies, his number one goal is to be the best dad possible. They, they got like it sounds like they got like his barber on background or something like that. Like this is the, <laughs> like the most surface conversation you could possibly have. And is that just because if people said Brad Pitt spokesman Riley McAtee told us that it would seem <laughs> kind of less sexy and in the know, so we I mean, want to ascribe it to just an anonymous source who is obviously I know people- Brad Pitt spokesman. People isn't exactly the lowest level of tabloid, so I don't want to impugn People Magazine's integrity or anything, but it certainly is sexier than saying, uh, you know, uh, we made up this quote about Brad Pitt uh, and, and we made it as anodyne as possible so that he wouldn't be upset about it. And I mean, I, I'm not quite sure that there's much of a distinction there if it's a real person or just a fabricated line. I've got a semi-provocative idea for you, David. Oh, good. Everybody wants to write a newsletter now. Yeah, I, they do. I know newsletters go back to like the Ann Friedman days, you know, which were like 100 years ago in Internet time. But Dave Weigel is writing a newsletter and BuzzFeed editor-in-chief Ben Smith just started his campaign newsletter, which is called The Stakes. And in its first issue featured him texting with Steve Bullock. Uh, to answer your question, yes, Steve Bullock does use emojis. Uh, but wow. everybody wants to write a newsletter. And is it true that the newsletter has in some way become the new podcast? the new symbol of power in journalism. So it used to be like, if you'd made it to a certain level, you got a podcast, but now everyone has a podcast, even us, but not everyone has a kind of semi opinionated, semi reported multi-topic newsletter that drops in your inbox every day or a couple of times a week. Mm -hmm. And that's how you signal that you're a big shot. What do you think of that? I think that's right. I mean, I think that you have to, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people uh, who have newsletters who are not on the level of, you know, the Ben Smiths of the world. Um, and frankly, I mean, the, you know, the, 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 I think Politico has started sort of pioneer the modern age of, of, of political journalism newslettering. Right. I mean, wasn't there like morning email, the big, a big thing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mike Allen years. Yes. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you're. I think that your provocative take is exactly right. I also think that at this, as as quick as media is moving now, um, and you see this on social media platforms as well, although it's kind of stabilized a little bit. There's a constant need to go to a new medium, to go to a new platform, to go to a new, to, I mean, just to go to a new genre. So that because because at some point you just run out of all the names that you can name things like I'm sure the stakes exi- I'm sure there's like four podcasts already called the stakes but there's not an email <laughs> newsletter called the stakes so we can just clear clear every you know box out and just take and, and lay claim to that um, you know I I, I think that it, part of it's just the the fresh terrain there yeah I mean it's funny to me because there was when you talk about the Mike Allen style newsletter that's kind of in the genre of Okay, here's a person who just has octopus arms and has a billion ideas and and just can't be contained by normal journalism. So they just mm-hmm. they, the best way is for them to kind of funnel it into a newsletter. But now there's kind of a a glamour newsletter genre like Ben Smith or Weigel who are like big name reporters and they're doing it. And what's funny to me is like writing a newsletter seems like grunt work or it used mm-hmm. to be grunt work. That was not that was not the glamorous job. That was that seemed like you know like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna aggregate the news all day like oh god when do I how long do I have yeah. to do this before I can it do does. something fun? It does it does. I mean I think that I think that at its at its core the first kind of newsletter that you mentioned is always going to be what a newsletter is right. It's everything that I mean it, there's a sense that it's just sort of the internet coming full circle because um, you know for all all of the writers that made it that you know the the first generation of writers that kind of got famous on the internet uh, our boss being one of them. Um, were writing things on the internet that like people couldn't find space for them to write in print, right? Where people didn't want to, you know, it was it was a little bit too too unique, too personal to them to 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 put in print. And then, you know, the internet media establishment sort of swallowed up all those blogs and all those bloggers and turned them into what we think of as journalists and writers. These you know pr- formal writers these days. Um, but there's still not a lot of space for you just to write whatever the hell you want, at least not on the platforms that you know that everybody traffics in. So this is a way to kind of speak directly to people. And I think for people like Ben Smith, you're right. There is a lot of grunt work involved and it's a little bit less conventional. I mean, less of that personal stuff, but maybe that's all he's really interested in. And maybe it, maybe it is prestige. Who knows? But um, I think, too, I think too, the world sort of changed when the column ceased to be the status symbol. I was just thinking about this. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like, we've been kind of groping around as a journalistic class since then to figure out, well, if I'm, if being a columnist isn't the thing anymore, what is being the thing? And, you know, it's like when all these when all these New York Times columnists are complaining about the Twitter mobs. Yeah. You just want to be like, I'm less interested in the Twitter mobs than I am in the waning power of the columnist. This seems like the cry that the, I have. I have what used to be the best job in the world. And it really doesn't matter in the same way. It who, used to anymore. who is the guy who is the guy we used to read growing up in the Fort Worth Star Telegram who wrote the scatter shooting column? Are you that Blackie Sherrod in Dallas Morning yeah. News? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Dallas Morning News. Uh. Yeah. What what is the modern newsletter if not a Blackie Sherrod column, right? I mean, just like oh, scatter shooting scatter shooting while wondering whatever happened to fill in the blank and he could just touch on everything from politics to local eateries to sports. I mean, he he was all over the place. Yeah, my neighbor Jones said this and everything like that. Yeah, that that's good. <laughs> I hadn't thought of Blackie as really the uh the father of of modern <laughs> journalism, but here we are. Uh David, I'd like to reintroduce a segment we haven't done in a while. That is Australia Corner. We love Australia here on the Press Box. Yes. And this item was sent to us by Tom Fowles, a reporter in Sydney, formerly of Townsville and Toowoomba. 
And Tom Fowles says, this Twitter headline from Nine News must get a shout out on the press box or he's rioting. And he is correct. Here is the headline that accompanies a picture of money floating in the water. Okay, so just picture money, (laughs) bills floating in the water. The headline is, these $50 notes were spotted floating down Mullet Creek on Bong Bong Road this morning by a (laughs) schoolboy. Sometimes Australia is just effortlessly itself. Mullet uh, Creek schoolboy is the ice. Bong Bong Road. And then the schoolboy. <laughs> it's the icing on the cake. <laughs> I think of kid just like in uh, in breaches or something coming by. And look, <laughs> look, dad, the money oh floating down gosh. Mullet Creek on my way to school. I, I can't wait it. for the Lil Nas X Bong Bong Road remix. It's going to be great. <laughs> Time for listener mail. Boy, David, do we have a big one to start off. We did a stupid intro last week about TV scientists facing off with (laughs) 90s bands, pegged to Smash Mouth and Neil deGrasse Tyson getting into it on Twitter. And we got a tweet response from Gin Blossoms, (laughs) the real, the blue checkmark Gin Blossoms, not some imposter, saying, I can't believe we got left out of the 90s bands. Oh and uh, Jim Cunningham pointed out that there's a hey jealousy joke just sitting there to be taken. <laughs> well, yeah, but Jim, the Jim Blossoms, you know, they don't they don't need to be jealous. They deserved a spot. That was our that was our categorical error. And I say this as a very unbiased person who counted the Jim Blossoms as amongst my like top three favorite bands through high school and saw the Jim Blossoms in concert in Dallas, Texas, with the uh, the Spin Doctors and Cracker. <laughs> uh, and wow and and the and on top of that i would say that at least like 50 percent of the time when i'm in my car i am w- with my family we are listening to like gin blossoms radio on pandora so this the, the, this is this was a i feel terrible about this uh the gin blossoms tweeting at at, at at our twitter account or accounts it was uh maybe the most starstruck i've ever been um in my time as a uh, professional podcaster and um I just want to extend my deepest my deepest apologies to the to the Gin Blossoms uh, and and all and their entire family and fan base. Can we make uh, the Gin Blossoms the official '90s band of the Press Box? Is that the makeup call here? Please. All right. Yes, the official band of the Press Box for all I care. That's there. There we go. Fantastic. Thank you, Gin Blossoms, and uh, our deepest apologies. We talked Tuesday, David, about how Playboy magazine is becoming a cannabis brand, which is the last stop for any brand before you disappear from this earth entirely. Our correspondent McGillicuddy writes, I think the last stage for brands after cannabis is blockchain. So point point <laughs> taken. Thank you very much. I called a Washington Post reporter, Katie Gluck, earlier in the week. It's actually Katie Glick. Sorry, Katie. Thanks to Matt Zeitlin, who is now our both our favorite correspondent and our ombudsman. Uh, David, our friend <laughs> Kyle Rather directs us to the latest use of the adjective seminal. As you know, I think seminal is oh, the most yeah. overused word in the history of journalism. And today's Time Magazine obit for Toni Morrison, novelist, declares Toni Morrison, seminal author who stirringly chronicled the black American experience, dies at 88. Seminal. Toni Morrison. Wow. Yeah. Uh, also a great author. Might want might to might think about that one, too. All right, David, it's time for David Shoemaker Guesses the Strain Pun Headline. Tuesday's headline was legume it may concern legume it may concern I also forgot to credit Steve Bonifero thank you Steve for that one that was a classic 
Today's headline comes from Michael Lev, a great sports writer who covers the colleges out there in Arizona. And Michael sends us a headline from the food section of the Arizona Daily Star. It's a story, David, celebrating the wonders of pesto. (laughs) Pesto makes for an excellent accompaniment to pasta during the hot summer months, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll give you a hint. The headline focuses on the fact that pesto is made partly out of herbs. Herbs. That's all you get. What is the Arizona Daily Star strained pun headline? God. I mean, there's so many puns you could, I feel like there's, you could, there's so many pesto headlines you could do, but it's, but it's not based on pesto. They bypassed pesto. They went to herbs. Oh my gosh. Uh, er, herb, urban renewal. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Herb, um, uh, herb, herbs, herb your enthusiasm. You got it. That's really? it. Yes. Yes. Herb your enthusiasm. <laughs> what that is the worst. That is a fantastic headline that has nothing, as far as I can tell, to do with pesto. No. Uh, I, I, I had to remind, I looked up the, I was like, is pesto primarily herb based? It's not. But no, it's herb pine your nuts. enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, the, uh, I guess if you're writing an article that's, introducing the concept of pesto to the readership, then you can go pretty basic. But that's also kind of wrong, so I'm not sure that that's, you know, that's okay. We all kind of know, right? Pesto is in Arizona at this point, I think. I'm pretty there's, sure there's they... an olive garden. There's they, they they've got their Italian <laughs> restaurants out there, right? We're we're all good. They're exposed the, uh, to television the way, and the internet. Yeah, I think they know about it. Michael Lev sent the a picture of the Arizona Daily Star page, and so I can see the headline below it, which is a perfect bite for your dessert menu. That's <laughs> that's the other food section headline. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Research by Chris Almeida. Production by Jim Cunningham. Music by Jen Blossoms. More lukewarm takes about the media on Tuesday morning. We'll see you then. See you, David. See you later, Brian. Saw the Jim Blossoms in concert in Dallas, Texas with the... What? <laughs> what? Whoa. The Spin Doctors and Cracker. <laughs> you're, you're canceled. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. What was the point of that? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs>